Marcast is made possible by Hayes Marketing and Digital, the recruiting experts in marketing and digital roles across Australia for a wide range of industries and job functions. The kids today that are asking Siri what the weather is and using their phones to buy everything, they're not going to get to 18 and decide they really want to go into stores. Welcome to Marcast, the Marketing Mag podcast series. Each episode, host Dave Jackson will bring you in-depth, one-on-one conversations with some of Australia's sharpest marketing minds. Today, Dave continues his chat with Ben Hill, Marketing, Innovation and Corporate Affairs Director at Bega Cheese. Ben discusses the role of the retailer in the performance of Bega products, understanding the customer landscape and external work with third-party agencies. We've talked about a couple of iconic brands, Bega and Vegemite, and we've talked about your business that's going to be innovating, diversifying your product mix, um, entering new categories. Where do the brands and this category expansion sit? Are we going to see Bega or Vegemite plastered across a whole lot of line extensions, associated brands, or are we going to see new brands? Are we going to see a mix? And how do you go about making those decisions? We certainly look to extend the current brands, but then you have to recognise where there are areas where a brand can't go and consumers won't accept a brand. Hypothetically, Vegemite dog food may not work. So I think when you do that, you need to understand your brand, what you stand for, and that'll help outline where you can go. Brands like Vegemite, you should and and would be doing research before you go and launch into a, a brand new category. But I think it's about understanding there are times when, you know, whether it's a new target that you're going after, whether it's an older target, a younger target, different backgrounds, whatever it might be, they may not be willing to accept your brand because they already associate it so heavily with something. And you think about a brand like Vegemite, it's so entrenched in, you know, it's the black stuff in a jar and Big is pretty heavily entrenched in in cheese, although we're we're trying to grow that. That, That's when it's appropriate to stare into, well, how would a new brand resonate to that consumer group? And some brands just don't belong in some categories. And I think you've got to be aware of that. And smart marketing is never letting your ego get in the way, never letting your passion for the brand get in the way of a smart decision. So just because you love a brand and think it should be everywhere doesn't mean consumers will accept you there. And and I think you've got to stare into that. And there's times when – so for us, we're entering new categories at the moment. We're we're entering um, peanuts, for example, snacking peanuts. Now, peanut butter, that that could work, but we wanted to target a slightly different audience to those that are buying our peanut butter today. Um, So we've launched a brand called Picky Picky, which is a bit of a quirky brand, premium quality product, but certainly targeting probably a younger audience than, than we felt maybe some of our existing brands could really resonate with in the same way. So for us, rather than trying to reposition a veggie mind, it was about if there's a new position there to be taken, let's let's develop the brand that best matches that need. What role does an Aussie retailer play in you deciding what products and what categories you're going to enter, what products you're going to roll out, or when do, the, when do they get involved? They're very involved, and, and I think they should be. So you might have some marketers that kind of resist the retailer piece because they want to go to the consumer. But I think, you know, at the end of the day, the, the retailers in Australia particularly, they have so much knowledge, you know, they have yeah. so much data. At the end of the day, they're helping you to grow your brands and your products. So you'd be mad not to engage with them. What we do is we, we tend to work um, from a consumer, shopper and, and customer perspective and we, we develop category growth driver models, we call them. Quite simply, all that is, if the pie, if we, if we use the cheese category as an example, if the okay. pie is $2 billion and we're maybe a quarter of that, we can push really hard to steal share and get another $50, 100000000 million. And that's great. We might win. 
but the shopper isn't getting any new experience. The consumer's not really getting anything new and the, and the customer's certainly not. All they're seeing is share switching within their category. Yeah, right. So we sort of look at it and go, well, if the category of cheese has, and, and we'll do a you know, large consumer understanding piece, um, generally some foundational research, and we'll come to them and say, look, this is what we're seeing and, and understanding about the cheese category. Don't, don't worry about the brands for now. This is what yep. we're seeing, consumption of cheese. Yep. And there might be seven ways to grow it. And, and you know what? We're really well placed to deliver on three of those. But the two of them, we might not be. You know, there might be a key competitor of ours that are better placed and we'll, we'll recognise that and, and suggest them they work with a competitor to help grow the category. Because at the end of the day, if, you know, if two billion goes to two and a half as opposed to 2.1 with our extra 100, then everybody wins. And so for us, we always start with how can we grow the category because that's what our customers want to do. They're looking to grow the category. I guess they look at categories the way we look at brand portfolio. So if dog food's growing, great. If it's at the expense of spreads, so be it. Yep. We've got to recognise that they have you know, hundreds of categories, all of differing levels of importance. So what we need to do is show them how our category can grow with them and that then, of course, makes you more important to them as a supplier. So we engage them a lot. Uh, we have them in our office. We'll bring them in and do workshops with them. We certainly would never turn up with a brand new idea and expecting to launch it in three months. For us, yeah. it's always a journey. We always start with the consumer in the category and the brand conversation becomes a secondary conversation, which is which is challenging for marketers because I think you know the way we're traditionally groomed and taught is not to look at it through that lens. Mm. But the reality is you, you market in the marketplace you're in and our marketplace um, certainly has strong um, customers yeah. and it's important that you, you leverage them and work with them to get the best result for everybody. Is that customer landscape changing? Historically, we've had two key retailers. We've yep. depends who you ask. We've got three or more now. Yep. What's, what are the, some of the consequences of that changing landscape? It's definitely changing, um, particularly when you see Aldi putting Australia as one of their top strategic markets globally now, and doing it differently in Australia to the way they do it in Germany. You know, the model's pretty similar, but Aldi range a lot more brands in Australia than they yeah. do in any other yeah. market. And we continue to work with them on, on further opportunities in that space. So I think Aldi have disrupted. What What's happened, though, is they haven't really disrupted Coles and Woolworths. They've more disrupted the independent channel. Yeah. I think with the impending launch of Cowfland and, and potential future launch of Lidl and, and of course, Amazon that, that we keep sort of looking at, that'll continue to, to change. And I think that's, that's a good thing because a healthy competition is good for consumers. It's good for suppliers to have different levers to work with within the industry. And, you know, you talked before about it is hard to deliver food um, online. I think that's that's going to change in Australia. It may not be Amazon that changes that, but someone will work out how to do fulfilment in this market. And at the end of the day, if you service Sydney and Melbourne only, you're going to hit a large number. And, you know, we look at companies, there's a company that we've sort of looked at called Three Squirrels in China. What they sell is, is flavoured peanuts, and we sell flavoured peanuts here. Yeah, right. We sell them through the Independence Channel and, and working with the, the majors at the moment. They only sell them on Alibaba. They went from zero to over two billion in three years, just selling peanuts. Yeah, we've been around a hundred years and we're closing in on two billion. So, you kind of look at that and you go, "That will happen." Um, yeah, and that will happen because the the kids today that are asking Siri what the weather is and using their phones to buy everything, they're not going to get to eighteen and decide they really want to go into stores. Yeah, they're not going to change their behaviour. They're going to demand that the the landscape changes for them. So. Uh, it's already happening. You know, we yep. all know it's happening. Um, it's a matter of how quickly it'll scale. And I, I suspect Coles and Woolworths will play a huge role within that. I think they'll take advantage of it themselves as well. We talked a little earlier about um, the capability that you're building in-house. I imagine that of the complete full set of capability you need, some of that sits in-house, some of that's with agencies and partners. Can you tell us a little bit about how you engage third parties in marketing at 
bigger. Yeah, absolutely. One of the things that when I started in this role was was setting up this marketing department was actually trying to understand the business need first as well. And I mentioned before about culture, but you know we were pretty quickly shifting from a, I guess a portfolio that had been a cash generator for multinational to being a growth accelerator. So we had to reprioritize our role in the business. But what that meant was we also needed to sharpen up different skills. You know we had we had some very strong commercially minded marketers who had managed P and Ls on the bottom line. And what we needed was actually people that could generate top and bottom line. So we had to build those skills into our people. Um, so yeah, look, I sort of talked about the diversity of our team and trying to build breadth of skills, but recognising that we certainly need support um, and we need industry best. And I think one of the things that Bigger as a company values really highly is relationships. And certainly that then flows through the marketing function as well. So for us, it's really important that we, we're not just an account to any yeah. of our suppliers. I know everyone wants to be important to their suppliers, but I think for us it's it's about finding the right mix of suppliers and, and, and finding out how do we mesh together and how can we build capabilities together. So one of the great examples we've got probably in the last 12 months is Thinkabell, who we brought on, on board to um, do our creative and, and strategy for us. And they were a pretty new agency at that time. And I guess for us, there was a little bit of risk involved in, in signing up with that when we, you know, particularly from a Vegemite perspective, we'd been with the incumbent JWT for 74 years. Yeah, wow. Um, yeah, and an important relationship, really, yeah. you know, um, significant relationship in our business. So for us, having to think about what can they bring to us and what can we bring to them? And I guess we saw an opportunity to help them grow their company, certainly having brands like Vegemite on the books uh, helps get you some publicity. And what we saw was some brilliant people that I felt could really help grow our business. So the relationships we have there, um, one of their founders, Adam, he mentors one of the guys in my team. Margie, the MD, and I meet every month and we talk about building capabilities across the teams, whether that's simple stuff like sharing access to the databases that we both have and subscriptions or more interesting stuff like job swapping because the end of the day, I've got 16 people in my team and I can job swap them into sales and R&D and finance and, and whatever, but they're going to also want to do some more marketing skill building. And so yeah. for us, having partners that help me build the skills of our team are really important. More recently, we've actually brought our media into Thinkabell as well. And again, that was you know a considered approach for us where strategically we thought it made sense to have our strategy, our creative and our I guess our execution of that, our media under one roof, which is yep. something that the industry used to do probably 20, 30 years yeah. ago. It might be a little bit off trend right now, but I suspect there's a few other companies probably looking at what we've just done and, and we'll follow that because, again, it's about depth. For us, it's about depth. If I look at research partners, I mentioned earlier we, we put a panel on for us. We've got a fantastic research partner that we work really closely with. They come in and present to us every month. And, and again, that's about building depth of relationship and depth of knowledge across the businesses. We have another research partner who we've brought in to basically go through all the old research for us and build a deck of these are all the things you actually know that you don't know you yeah, know. Yeah, okay. And I think that's critical because what you're doing is you're building skills with your partners about your own business um, and you're building skills internally. So we share performance measures and things like that with our partners. And, and for me, it was always about making sure that we were worthwhile to our suppliers. Yeah. And I don't mean that from a cash perspective. I mean that from a they want to work with us because we certainly want to work with them. Yeah. And it was tough, you know, coming into Bega from the Mondelez transition, there was 40-odd marketing suppliers on the books, which was which was a lot, <laughs> a yeah. lot of stakeholders. Yeah. And some were more active than others, but we really had to make a call to start consolidating that because for me, I wanted consistency in, in the knowledge. And, I and you know, when your IP is spread that broadly, you're not really helping yourself much. Um, so we've narrowed that down to really a handful of, of key suppliers now. And I've found from my team's perspective, the upskilling has been enormous. The other thing we've done 
from a supplier perspective, I guess, is coming across looking at capability more holistically in the team, whether that be media, whether that be innovation, digital, uh, brand building, and recognising that Bigger didn't have a you know a capability framework for marketing. So we looked for some suppliers in the industry who, who might be able to provide that, and we found a, a fantastic group in Sydney. Am I allowed to mention names? <laughs> no, absolutely. Uh, a company called Brand Traction uh, up there, and, and John, who was owning, the owner of that company, and talking to him about building up a big framework for our business um, and then recognising this would take us some time and a lot of, I guess, hours from our end. You know, we were a bit bit lean at that time and, and I wanted to upskill yeah. quickly. So working with him, he said, we'll talk to some other clients about what they've currently gotten and see what you think. So we've actually partnered up with Dulux Group um, who had developed a capability framework, a marketing capability framework that having had a look at it's one of the best I've seen. So we've signed up with them and we now send our bigger marketing team off with Dulux paint yeah, wow. marketing teams and they're all off learning about marketing together and yeah there's no conflict of interest there we're not in we're not in competing categories and I think the feedback from my team has been incredible because they're getting to mingle with marketers outside their industry yet the principles still make sense and I think you know for us it, it was it got us to a capability framework instantly we didn't have to yeah. spend a year building it yeah and and the quality of it is is second to none so that's that's another way we've learned really heavily on a supplier and John to his credit you know kind of could have looked at it as losing the business of yes. us not developing not with him. Not doing that but, work through him, yeah. Yeah, but I guess him looking at the bigger picture going, well, I'm still going to be training bigger marketers and over time, therefore, building a relationship with us. So it's been fantastic. Are there some fundamental changes just to the way we engage and contract with partners to, to be able to execute these things? We're, I'm hearing a, a lot of transparency and a lot of trust yep. and a lot of medium, longer-term thinking, not a lot of just day-to-day thinking, oh, I'll make as much money. From the agency side, I'm going to ma- capitalise this and make it as financial and lucrative as I can before yeah. I lose it because inevitably this mob are going to go to market and replace me in yeah. some point in the future anyway. I'm, I'm not hearing any of that. Does that have a change to just the fundamental contracting and how we engage with these people it, on a more commercial it, basis? It does. I mean, it has to go both ways, I think. And, you know, potentially I'm more open... Than maybe most might be in my position. Certainly, I'm incredibly transparent with my my partners to the point of, you know, I might even talk to them about the way we're setting up our structures in the team, through to you know what are our key business challenges. But I think if you want to get beyond transactions and you want to get beyond written briefs and, and emails back and forth, you kind of have to have those conversations. And what I've found so far is it comes back in spades. You know what what you find from your from your suppliers and the guys who've been our digital agency for a long time on Vegemite a great example where. The over and above is a company called Channel T, who are again fantastic partner of ours. They, the over and above they give you, um, you know, yes, you meet quarterly to discuss the retainer and look at the hours. But what I've found is the approach we've got with our partners, we're always in the red from an hours perspective. They're, they're giving us a lot more than we're, yeah. we're paying for. Yeah, we recognise and appreciate that, and we do everything we can to control that and bring it back and give a lot back to them. Yeah, but I think that's where you get to. You, you, yes, you both got to run a business and you both got to deliver a number, but at the end of the day, you're kind of in business together and you have to look at each other as business partners, not suppliers and, and customers. And for me, the relationships we've got that our agencies and suppliers are, are really deep and really strong. Whether that's from the assistant brand manager to, to my role, it doesn't make any difference. You know, we're not we're not a group where an agency presents a piece of work to us and we say, can you leave the room while we review it? And, yeah, yeah. Uh, we had a design agency in recently presenting a whole bunch of stuff to us and you know, it's, it's about a conversation and that, that comes from trust. You mentioned transparency and I think once you've got high trust, you can say things really openly to each other and bluntly without worrying about the feelings. 
knowing that you're all on the same page. Are these new approaches unique to your organisation and the place and time you're at or are these more universal trends? Is this where all agency relationships need to be moving in in your view? Is this is this the future I, I for think, everyone? I think they do. I think um, at the end of the day, we're all human beings with feelings and emotions and, and at the same time, we're all trying to deliver hard lines on, on a P&L. I think if you're transactional with each other, you just, you, you never really get the best out of each other. You know, you might win the odd award and you might have the Christmas party and, and pat each other on the back. But I think if you're in it together day to day, I, I do think it's necessary. And I think by showing that example from from top down, what you find is your brand managers, your marketing managers, senior brand managers, et cetera, that their relationships with the account managers at the agencies are no longer about barking at each other over mm. email. It's actually they recognise that the relationship's strong at the top level and they're part of that greater relationship. I think the world does need to move quite significantly in this area and I think a lot of the multinational suppliers are recognising that themselves and starting to branch out in terms of what they offer and how they offer it. Yeah. The other side of that that makes life difficult is, is I think in, in a multinational firm, if you think about the breadth of their supply network, there's significant cost involved in that. Yeah. And so you have to have a critical role for a procurement function, for example, or a marketing services function yeah. to analyse every dollar. And unfortunately what that leads to is, okay, it becomes a procurement conversation as yeah. opposed to a how do we get the best value not being just the dollars conversation. Yeah. We're quite blessed. We've, we've got a procurement team that are, I would say, quite commercial in their approach. Obviously, always trying to get a good good price for our business, but not at the expense of good work. Yeah. And I think you need to have that. You've got to be able to get it at, at the price that's appropriate for whatever your business is, whether you're a multi-billion dollar business or a hundred million dollar business. Yeah. You pick the right suppliers and then you work with them as opposed to working against them to try and get the price down because that's that's not what you should be spending your time to the on. Bottom. Yeah, it's not what you should spend your time on. What other differences uh, in the world of marketing than they were five or 10 or 15 yeah. years ago? I think the transparency piece is, is huge these days. Um, and I'm not talking about the, the subject we just spoke about with your, your agencies. I'm talking yeah. about your company being transparent to consumers. Obviously, the world of data, social media, fake news, all of that, you, you have to be on your A-game all the time. And so you have to have your ducks in a row internally. You have to be a lot of cliches in there. You, but you basically <laughs> have to be... What you live and breathe inside the four walls of your office have to be consistent with what happens outside yeah. the business um, because consumers don't – they don't attach themselves anymore to what you're selling yep. and they don't really attach themselves to how you're doing it. They're, what they're attaching themselves to is why you do it. Yep. We've got a graduate program uh, at Beagle. We're just finalising interviews at the moment for, for the next intake and the questions you'll get back from the, the interviewees are very much about why does this company do that or why do you work for this company? So the why question, I think, is is fundamental in marketing these days. There's some great quotes out there, but people aren't going to buy what you do. They're going to buy why you do it. Yeah, That's a generational shift. 20 years ago, people wanted to know the products and the features and benefits of your product, and that was marketing. Yep. You could get to that and you'd work you up your hierarchy to an emotional need. These days, people want to know why you do what you do, and then they'll attach themselves to you if they, if they buy into it. And I think that, that's been one of the biggest changes I've seen in, in the last sort of 10, 20 years is the way we're marketing products, the way we want to mean something to people is really different. Of course, the ways we get there, you know, everyone knows digital's disrupted everything with the way we get there, but I'm more interested in, in the why you get there and, and, and how you're promoting your brands. And I think if you if you stand for something as a company and you stand for something as a person and, and as a leader and you can portray that through your brands, then consumers will buy into that or, or they won't, but, but at least you're true to what you're, what you're standing for. 
And the last thing um, I always like to do around now is, is get out the crystal ball. So I'm going to put it there and you're just going to rub your hands over it like Got that it. and you're going to say something magic. I don't know what you're going to say. And you're going to look into the future. The role of marketing, how is it going to have changed? What will look different about marketing five years from now? Uh, a lot more of it will be digitised. Uh, a lot more of it will be automated. Um, the science of marketing is growing rapidly and the science of marketing will be done by machines in the future. Therefore, the one part that humans can still control being the art, yeah. we need to continue to, to grow at, we need to challenge ourselves at. And I think the future of marketing will be uh, creative marketing backed heavily by science. And the bigger business five years from now? The bigger business from five years from now uh, will be the Great Australian Food Company. I think it'll be diverse. I think it'll have grown significantly again. And I think it'll be seen, hopefully, you know, I definitely hope, as a place where people coming into the industry want to go and work. I hope that our EVP will continue to grow and uh, people will admire the work we're doing and, and hopefully we deliver great products to the world and, and do it the right way. How about Ben five years from now? Five years from now. Um, look, hopefully I'm still at Vega. Hopefully, uh, hopefully they keep me on. I'd like to think that I could expand my influence a little bit further, being new, a newish marketing function in this big company. Uh, there's other business units that we're not touching right now, and I'd love to help them out more. I'd love to do more of their international business, which is enormous. And I'd like to see that you know, some of the people that are, are working for me have hopefully gone past me. And I always believe that you know the role of our chairman, I'm stealing a quote from him, but the, I think the role of leaders is to teach other people how to lead. And that's about setting the right standards and, and helping them learn how to be leaders. So being privileged enough to be in the position I'm in, my hope is that there's more people I've helped in five years than, than there are today. Ben Hill, thanks for the chat. Thanks for having me. Thanks again to Ben Hill for giving his time to appear on Marcast. Join us again soon. And if you enjoyed it, don't forget to subscribe and rate our podcast. Marcast is made possible by Hayes Marketing and Digital the recruiting experts in marketing and digital roles across Australia for a wide range of industries and job functions. For the latest insights on what it takes to be a marketing director, download the Hayes Report, DNA of a Marketing Director, at hayes.com.au.